Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today, we're going to answer some questions again. Imagine we decided, that. We decided to do some more, more Q&As this week. We're hitting week. you with a bunch of Q&As this week. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, if you are a frequent listener of the podcast... Um, Thank you, first and foremost, and uh, I already know that you like Q&As because they're our most downloaded and most popular podcast episodes, so we tend to do a lot of them, but I will be honest, I really enjoy doing topics. I like sitting on one topic. It forces me to uh, kind of like review research again, too, because there's, you know, often I'm very scattered with research, but when we do a topic like... um, one of my favorite ones was the placebo. Like if you if you're listening, to this, you haven't listened to the placebo one. I know you always make fun of me, but I love. I think you just say that because you know it. I honestly didn't. I'm I just kidding. fucking love the placebo effect. It's very very interesting to me. Intriguing. It's it's just a very crazy phenomenon, you yeah. know. Um, especially because sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But like the shit with the steroids, like they tell them they're on steroids, and these guys start getting jacked and lifting heavy, and then they tell them they're not on steroids, and it like slows down tremendously. It's like holy shit, the brain is powerful. Mental thing. Yeah. Um, but like that episode was really fun to me. The genetics one was really fun to me. Like when I have to go and dig in the research and start looking at things and I find all these articles, I just have a blast. So the reason I'm going on this rant right now is if you're listening to this and you enjoy the podcast, do me a huge favor and fill out the form in the description. Uh, we don't take your email or anything like that. We just take your name. And if you don't want your name listed, you can put a funny ass name that's made up in there, or you can put unknown, whatever you want. Um, but that's a place where you can ask us long form questions or give us specific topics. So if you have things that you would love for me to dive into on a podcast and just do one 30 minute episode on just that topic or longer, if it's a topic that gets me going, um, put it in there for me so click the link it's in the description fill that out ask your question drop some topics i'd love for you guys to contribute to that so that i can literally just create episodes for you because that's really what this this is all about so um thank you for doing that i appreciate it and uh dude let's dive into the questions let's do it we got a lot of good questions today so let's start it off we're starting a uh, one-off with anonymous it says do you have a minimum period of time that you like to see someone at maintenance before they start a cut Yes, but I don't have a general like rule of thumb. I've never, um, I guess I've always, I've always been asked that question from like a yes or no perspective or like, what do you look for before starting a cut? So for me, it's, uh, (laughs) do you know what's funny is like this, I guess I kind of talked about this yesterday or last time we recorded. I was gonna say, I just posted about this, but I had it written yesterday, but same thing. I talk about like, you know, before you get into a diet, I just posted this on Instagram before you get into a diet. I want to make sure that your, your fundamentals are covered, sleep, health, uh, digestion, uh, obviously metabolism, stuff like that. But like, you're consistent, your lifestyle matches up with what you, your your goals are. Like everything's in line where your foundation's there. We're not gonna run into any crazy problems going into the diet. Um, I'm gonna look for good biofeedback. I wanna make sure that you didn't just get out of a diet. Like I wanna make sure you're coachable so that you're ready to learn and open to being challenged, things like that. Um, but how long of a period of, you know, I don't know. Like I haven't really been asked that. My main thing is that you haven't just been dieting before. So I would probably say that... Um, at least been in a deficit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I guess dieting could be maintenance or whatever. So a very I, vague term. I would say I would like somebody to be at maintenance for at least two to three months, at least. But it also depends because, you know, if somebody came to me and they were, if if they were 
like if they dieted really hard or they were in a bad place, if they just reverse dieted out of a bad place of chronic dieting and just being in a, in a slow metabolic stage, I'm going to want way more in two or three months, mm -hmm. you know, because it might take you two, three months just to reverse diet. And that's a big mistake people make is they take two to three months to reverse out of like a chronic deficit they've been in where they're stressed or biofeedback shit. They finally get up to maintenance calories after two, three months. They're like, all right, let's diet now. I've been out of a deficit for two, three months. It's like, no, you've been out of a deficit for like a week. You've just taken two to three months to slowly get out of that deficit, which is fine. That's a reverse diet. And people do that to try to mitigate fast weight gain after a diet. Makes sense. We talk about it all the time. But you got to remember that if you're in a deficit at 1,200 and then your maintenance is – you work – you reverse diet all the way to 2,000. From 1,200 to 2,000, you're still kind of in a deficit. It's just less of a deficit because mm. you're slowly getting up calories, but you're still in that fucking deficit until you get to that top end. So um, that's a big key point. And the reason I say it is because I might say two to three months at maintenance, but that is after the reverse diet is already done. That's two to three months in a good place, eating enough food, being healthy, having good biofeedback before we even dive into it. Um, there's also times where I might want six months. If somebody's in a really bad place, Two to three months just isn't enough time. You know, there's also times where one month is enough because if you did an eight-week cut and you just went to maintenance for a month and then you're like, all right, let's dive back into it. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Um, so it's really hard to say. Like context is so specific. I know there's like a there's a chart out there for like bodybuilding style uh, physiques and goals and clients. And it would say that your your maintenance phase should be one to 1.5 times as long as your cutting phase. Um uh, now, the reason for that is because if I diet for, um, let's say, four months, right? Four months in a deficit to get lean. Well, that means I'm at maintenance for at least four months, if not six months, because half of four months is two, two plus four is six. That might seem like a long time before you get to go do it again. But if you're a bodybuilder, that's not long at all because you need six months just to gain some solid size. Yeah. So in that regard, it's not that big of a deal. A normal prep for a bodybuilding show is at least six months probably. So if you dieted for six months, that means you're doing shit at least six, if not, uh, what would that be? Nine months at maintenance before you're allowed to jump into a deficit again. That means you're doing one cut a year at most, <laughs> you know, which seems like not, seems kind of crazy to some people. I don't think it's that crazy because realistically, if you diet down, you have one or two goals here, right? You, have, you can diet down and then your job is to learn, adapt, and sustain, or your job is to reverse and build muscle so that you can cut again and get leaner, but with more muscle. That's if you're approaching it from like a sport specific angle, right? Like physique yeah. sport. Um, but for the everyday person, like we don't want to spend year round dieting. So it really should be like, I'm going to diet get lean, and then I'm going to take time to reverse properly and sustain that. And so you shouldn't want to diet again for a year. And, and my thought process on it is there's one of two things is happening if you're trying to diet again. It's that you didn't take it seriously enough the first time and you, you didn't adhere well, right? Or you did the diet wrong and you rebounded post-diet, which is very common. Um, like you were saying yesterday, they might not have even been in a deficit when they thought they were dieting. 100%. So, and that's where like, and this is, that's where this, this whole thing gets hard because, you know, if you didn't take it seriously and you weren't adhering well, there is a chance, like Travis just said, that you weren't actually in a deficit. And if that was the case, I might be okay putting you back into a deficit because your biofeedback's not bad since you didn't really do it. You know, you didn't really stress your body the way you thought it is more of like a psychological stress, yeah. which might not take nearly as much time to reverse. Um, 
and then there's the other scenario where you rebounded. And in that same regards, I might still be fine bringing you back into a deficit because part of the reason why biofeedback goes to shit is because you get really lean. So if you put a lot of that weight back on, you're eating more calories, whether you like it or not, your biofeedback's probably back to normal because you put body fat back on your body. And that's just a fact. So, um, I mean, there's just so many, it depends on there, you know? And then there's also the person that maybe you dieted for six months and you dropped 40 pounds, but you have a hundred to lose. Well, I might be fine bringing you right back into a deficit after a month or two because you have a lot of weight to lose. So it's actually going to be healthier for you. So there's just too many, it depends answers. And and there's a, there's a caveat with every scenario, you know? And I think that's why a lot of the times when we're answering these questions, it's like, well, who are you? What's your history? What was the diet like? How long was the diet? When did you diet? How was your adherence with the diet? Like, have you ever asked anybody those questions before? That's what I do for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Sure seems like you have. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's like, uh, that's our questionnaire. And then you get the questionnaire back and you go, okay, I have uh, 20 more follow-up questions based on your answers to the questionnaire questions. And, and that's just, you know, get to know them. Yeah. But that's, and that's why like in our coaching, it blows my mind when I talk to people and they're like surprised to talk to me on the phone. Right. If it's somebody who's like, oh, I didn't know I talked to you. I'm like, okay, I get that. You thought maybe you talked to one of my coaches and sometimes they do, right? I don't take all the initial calls. Um, But there's also times where they're like, oh, I've worked with online coach before. I've just never talked to him on the phone. I'm like, what do you mean? How did you fucking meet them? They're like, well, I sent an email in and they sent me a payment link and I paid and they hired me and they sent me macros. I'm like, you have no idea what their voice sounds like? Yeah. You know, like that's crazy to me. But yeah, that's why they're a third of the price and a third of the value and a third of the relation yeah yeah hundred percent um the value we bring obviously exceeds a lot of what that is you know yeah and it's it's funny too because i have i have uh mentor clients people i mentor in the industry and stuff and they they don't have as big of a reach or don't talk to as many people as i do so for them they don't know anything other than what they do and what we do Mm -hmm. so like to them, that doesn't even make, like, they can't even comprehend it either. But there's so many people in the industry like that. Like, the industry is full of bullshit gimmicks and just bad, bad coaching that makes everything look really bad, you know? From, I, like, a, a... I wonder if there's so much bad gimmicks out there that it makes us look bad. Well, that's what I'm saying. It makes online coaching in general look really bad. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think free content runs the online coaching spaces because it's the only way to build people's trust. Like if ads are out there running, they're going to assume it's one of those gimmicky things, you know, and that's, what's hard. It's like, we have to invest so much time, money and effort into creating free education for people to build that trust so that they know they can trust us when they come aboard. You know what I mean? Because you can't, you can't trust a lot of people. Yeah, it's true. And there's a lot of fucking business coaches and shit like that. You can't trust either. Yeah. It's all it's, it's, it's a shady space, but I mean, What, what would you say the percentage Broken down in just a two parts of like how, you know, our potential clients, people that apply mm-hmm. that say, oh, I've been following you for at least two, three years or someone that says, I just found you and signed up. Yeah. Um, probably s- at least 75%. Maybe not two, three years. 75% what? They've been following me for at least six months or more. Oh. Yeah. Six months is usually, three months is like the, the minimum usually. And You've then, never had somebody be like, hey, I came across your IG. I oh, hit you up 100%, today. 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has happened for sure. Um, very small percentage. Yeah. Very tiny yeah. percentage, which I expect. And and for those people, I'm like, damn, I'm crushing it. Yeah. Like that means our content is really good. Yeah. <laughs> because if you can build that trust for me off like a couple days. One of visit. Shit, yeah. Yeah. 
we're killing it. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, that's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. But that's also why, like, you don't see a bunch of call to actions in, like, every post of, yeah. like, click here and sign up for this and yeah. do that. And, like, I share stuff on my story. And, of course, there's always, like, a call link because somebody wants to sign up for a free call. You click the fucking button. They need to know where to go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, again, that's why it's free. There's no strings yeah. attached there. But then, again, not having those links in every single post, you can always resort back to your bio. Like, yeah. exactly. You know. Yeah. And that's, and that's our goal is, like, create so much education and free content and the links just live there. They'll click when they're ready, but people don't have patience for that. Yeah. You know, so they do, they do a lot of gimmicks and sales tactics and shit like that. And I get it, but I mean, you got to survive business is business, but it's, business it's, business. it's crazy, man. Put I, food on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. But integrity. integrity ma- exactly. I was gonna say integrity matters, man. Yeah. Cool, man. All right. That's good. Okay. There's a part two to this. Uh, it says for a client who has been chronically dieting, would you schedule in more frequent diet breaks potentially versus someone who has never dieted before? I'll repeat it. No, it, I mean, it, it really depends because, so yes and no. And here's the two situations that I would, I would present. Um, number one, for the beginner who has never dieted before, part of me goes, I'm not going to program a bunch of diet breaks because we got fresh meat here. Let's, yep. let's get to the, you know, yep. cut get to the chase. Exactly. And they're highly motivated because this is all new. There's nothing better than taking advantage of, uh, of a newbie in like, that sounds bad, but like they're, they're so fresh to the game that it's an exciting change. And they're like very adherent because they're into it. And we want to take advantage of that at the end of the day, you know, and this is why I ask the questions like this at the beginning of a coaching thing is like, do you get a lot of gratification and motivation from instant results mm-hmm. and I'm never going to promise crazy instant results. Cause I'm like, Hey, from the get go, like this is not a 30 day quick fix. However, if I know this individual is going to be more motivated, if I get him to lose five, 10 pounds in the first few weeks, I'm going to go hard route right the gate, pull back and then go into a sustainable approach afterwards. Cause I know two to three weeks of going hard at it. Isn't going to like screw his adherence long-term, but if that gives him that initial motivation he needs, that's something I'm going to use and play with. And beginners are usually that way. So we want to get after it. If I'm pulling you out for a diet break all the time, not only does your body not really need it yet, but also again, patience, you're fit. Well, and you're fresh. So yeah. it's like, let's wait on that and grind at it now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like they don't have that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and the other part of it is they might need it depending on their personality type. Cause they're not used to it. Right. There's certain people who are new and it's like, it's most of the time that's the case, but there's also some people that it's new and it's overwhelming. Yeah. So for those individuals, I might take more diet breaks. But the big key here is, and the reason I'm answering it this way, is because the way they're framing the question is more from a physiological benefit, right? For somebody who has chronically dieted, would you give more diet breaks? That would typically imply, from the way I'm understanding it, is that if somebody chronically diets that hormonally or physiologically, metabolically, they are in a more compromised position. Therefore, they would need more diet breaks along the way because once upon a time, we thought there was a lot of hormonal and physiological uh, benefits to taking diet breaks. But now we know that it's mainly just psychological. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest point of it. So- I might take more diet breaks with somebody who has not chronically dieted or dieted at all because they might be fresh and it might be overwhelming. They might need some more of those, right? If adherence is an issue. Um, There's also some people, like I said, who are new and fresh and motivated. So there is no issue with adherence. It's completely personality dependent and lifestyle dependent. Whereas the person who has chronically dieted, I might need more diet breaks if they are burnt out from dieting. But in my experience, there's a lot of people who have chronically dieted who actually love dieting. 
they want to be in a deficit, as crazy as that sounds, because they they chronically dieted for a reason. They're afraid to eat a lot of calories, and they're they're excited to lose fat. So number one, the only way I'm putting that person in a deficit at all is if I got them to a good place now. So I'm not worried about the deficit. Okay. Therefore, I'm not worried about taking diet breaks. If I was worried about giving them diet breaks, it means I didn't wait long enough before putting them in a deficit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So that person, I probably wouldn't worry about it. And because I'd be more after physiological benefits from a diet break perspective, I'm less likely to take frequent diet breaks and I'm more likely to take less frequent, longer duration diet breaks because we know it takes about three, four weeks for metabolic adaptation to really kick in. So I'm more likely to say, hey, we're going to like you have dieted a lot in the past. So we got to be careful with your hormones, with your your physiology. We're going to get after it for eight to 12 weeks and then I'm going to pull you out for like four to six weeks. Because I want to reverse some of those things, like four to eight weeks maybe even. So it's now it's like a periodized approach of like eight weeks on, six weeks off, eight weeks on, six weeks off, eight weeks on, reverse diet to maintenance. And it's maybe a 32-plus week uh, intervention, but we're doing so, so we do it right this time because last time you kind of hurt your body doing it, you know? So um, again, a lot of it-depends scenarios, but I think, and this is where I think like there's no, and this is a, going back to good coaching, this is the good sign of a good coach. And this is exactly why YouTube videos and reels are so fucking hard for me, right? Because if, if it was like, oh, let's do a diet break video, I'd be like 30 minutes in on case scenario 17 of why it would apply different here. And I think that's the pro- It's hard for me to make it concise because coaching is never concise, Amen. right? Um, shit, that's probably why the podcasts are like main platform, honestly, yeah. is because absolutely is. I can just go and, and there's talk no- talk about why things happen. Yeah. Don't put a fucking character limit on me. Yeah. You know, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's why I like blogging. I'll just that's keep it. fucking going. Yeah. Um, same thing with podcasts, but we are going to get in the YouTube space, so we're going to figure that out. We're going to figure that <laughs> You're out. You're going to figure that yeah. out. <laughs> I'm going to figure that out. Or we're going to film, and then I watch it, and I'm like, bro, you cut out like... <laughs> 20 minutes of content. You're like, I know. I made six videos out of it. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> but it was a 45 minute video. Now yeah. it's a 27 minute video. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Cool. Um, let's move on to the next question it is from Jane Marie it says, why shouldn't you do a deload week and a refeed at the exact same time? Can you touch on the separate benefits of both and why you should space, di- you should space them out doing those two methods instead of doing them at the same time? Um, yeah, really good question. I've talked a little bit about this in the past. Um, the reason I think you should separate them, uh, and, and i got to give credit where credit's due, I, ha- I took this idea from Jackson Pios after he did the ice cap trial, which stands for intermittent calorie, and I don't remember the rest, but ice cap stands for something, (laughs) I-C-A-P trial. And we interviewed him on the podcast um, as well. And we had him on the YouTube channel and we've written blogs about this. We did a research view on this study. So it's, it's probably one of the more prevalent uh, uh, research papers on diet breaks. And it's great. And what, with that, I, I believe that the best way to approach it now is is doing it this way because like he said when they did the ice cap trial uh and they took these diet breaks they didn't see really any benefits outside of the psychological benefit right and that's where we all started kind of realizing um that's one of the studies we kind of realized there's not a ton of physiological changes here um i want to say i don't know if you pulled it up or not but i want to say that it's uh it was a one week diet break like i think it was one week on one week off or two weeks on one week off icap yeah trial yeah by Jackson Pios. Yeah. I looked um, up his name too. Oh, wait, no. Ice cap. So I-C-E, 
C-A-P. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting way to spell it. Yeah. Uh, But the, um, the, the thing with that is like they found psychological benefits and then they found um, some muscular endurance benefits, which would mean that basically what's going on here is there is a psychological relief, which is really just because, Hey, you're not dieting for a week and person's kind of like, Oh, thank God. You know, I don't got to worry about my diet for a week. Um, I believe, I don't know if, I don't think they recorded this because I believe I asked Brandon Roberts when we, we did this and I don't think most of them do. I'm always interested in the cortisol levels when they do a diet break and they never seem to really track that or care about that. Um, and I understand why because in a lot of, you know, healthy resistance trained individuals, cortisol fluctuates and that's normal and we want that. However, when we're working with busy moms doing CrossFit and I'm using diet breaks, I really want to know, is there a cortisol benefit? Because cortisol is the stress hormone that is chronically elevated with these individuals. Um, But nonetheless, uh, we don't know if that's why the psychological benefit is happening um, or if that plays a role in it. I would say it probably does, but the main role is that you just get a relief from the diet. The muscular endurance side of it is pretty obvious glycogen uh, replenishment, right? When we train hard or we diet in a caloric restriction or a combination of both, especially we deplete glycogen from our muscle tissue, our liver, everything, right? And so when we have refeed days or diet breaks and we increase carbohydrates up to maintenance calories, we're getting the benefit of replenishing our body with carbohydrates. Totally. Plain and simple. Um, So with that being said, uh, if we are replenishing our glycogen during a diet break. And during that diet break, we see a, uh, a surge or an increase of muscular endurance. Muscular endurance is really only going to apply for hypertrophy. It's not going to apply much for strength. Um, but it's basically how many reps can you do? So maybe I can do, uh, the 80 pound dumbbells, I can hit 10 reps on dumbbell bench press. Right. And then when I'm depleted and in three weeks into a deficit, maybe I'm hitting like eight reps. And then I get this surge. Now I can do like 12 to 15 reps because I have a lot more carbs. I'm recovering better. My muscle hydrated. Why would I deload, right? Like if I have this week during a deficit where I can do more volume by squeezing out a couple extra reps on everything I do because I have more carbs, which is going to feel more muscular endurance and I'm going to recover fine from it. To me, that's an opportunity to seize because the thing that allows you to maintain muscle during a cut is protein intake and uh, it's muscle protein synthesis, but keeping muscle protein synthesis elevated comes from eating enough protein and strength training. If we can do more strength training, we have more anabolic signals telling us to maintain muscle, maybe even recomp because our body goes through anabolic and catabolic signals constantly. So we might not be you know, gaining muscle when we're in a deficit, but if we're maintaining muscle in deficit and then we take a diet break and we're allowed able to increase volume and intensity from the diet break, we might actually be able to build a little bit of muscle during that week. So if we want any opportunity to recomp or maintain maximum amount of muscle, to me, the thing that makes the most sense is to take a diet break and use that as an opportunity to fuel more reps and more volume, since we know that's a key driver of hypertrophy. And then on a week that you're taking a deload, just stay in the deficit yeah. because you're deloading your training, which is already going to give you good recovery. You don't like, what's the point of eating more food too? You're going to recover fine. You're doing way less on a deload. And then when you're eating more food, do more volume, right? So the way I would program it is like... I would go week one, normal, week two, normal, week three, diet break, increase volume, week four, normal, because you just got off of a diet break, so you're still going to have higher glycogen levels. Week five, deload, still in the deficit. Week two, uh, or week one, going into the new program, you know, and then that way you're taking a diet break every three to four weeks, and you're matching it with, like, the peak of your program, Um 
And you can even deload the week after that if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, semantics, it depends. So that's the the overall reason why I wouldn't pair them together and how I would separate them. Yeah. Yep. All right. Awesome. Good answer. We got one more coming at you guys. We have one from M Mason 32. It says, can someone still gain muscle after 40? How much do potential gains drop off with this kind of age? Yeah. Um, number one, yes, you can. And I, I've seen it. Um, I have a, a client I, I just shared on my story, um, named Ryan and he is 40 five i believe um the dude is a fucking savage i mean like he makes me feel pathetic uh but he's been working with me for two years so i've just watched him i mean like bro you're 29 i know look at this guy though damn he's a fucking tank <laughs> and he's gained muscle i've watched him get bigger he's he came to me he was in great shape i'm not gonna sit here and be like he was I you know it. yeah i did everything two years he built you know all that <laughs> Um, but he absolutely built muscle during that time. And, uh, I've, I've done his training and I've also just done his nutrition while other people I know in the industry have done his training. Um, and it's just being dialed in, you know, now if he was doing what he's doing today, when he was 19, 25, he'd probably build more muscle. No doubt about that. Um, but to say it's that he can't build muscle for you is just incorrect. Right. So, um, I, I think that the, the research is pretty unclear here exactly like when that tapers off but as we age gains do taper off that's a fact um once upon a time everything tapered off people were just like oh everything just kind of goes to shit as you age um and you you i mean you've probably ran into this you go to like uh i haven't had somebody say this in a while because covid everybody stopped doing barbecues and shit like that but like i remember being able to like i'll be like eating food it's like kind of like my cheat day out of fan barbecue whatever and be like oh i remember when i used to be able to eat like that now it all just sticks to me right here or whatever yeah. i'm 43 years old <laughs> And I just remember being like, oh, like in my mind thinking like, yeah, that sucks, you know, like because I'm young and I'm like, I just started training and I'm active, so I'm burning calories constantly. Um, but that's been completely debunked. I don't, uh, there's actually not a literal hormonal shift that down-regulates metabolism until you're 60 plus. Damn. So unless you're 60-year-old, you have zero fucking excuse. Yeah. Um, it's lifestyle, right? Yeah. So it's correlation, not causation, basically. Being 40 doesn't cause your metabolism to slow down. Um, now, muscle might be different. I'll get to that in a sec. Um, however, when you're 40 compared to when you're 20, your lifestyle difference is probably a big factor. You know, For example, I'm going to be 30 here soon, so I, I can't say for, for, for sure 40. But I promise you I'm getting way less sleep at 30 than I was at 20. And I think mo most people can say that. Not Maybe not at 30, but from... You were in college partying at 20, yeah. so maybe different for you. No, I'm talking about you. I mean, you were at Vigor at midnight at 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, but I slept in, bro. I was, oh. I was not an early riser because okay. I, I had school at like uh, – at 20 years old, I was still finishing school, so I think I had school at like 10, Okay, and I lived across the street. Okay. I'd like wake up, walk school. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I did intermittent fasting. It was fine. Um, but I got way more sleep back then, and most people can easily say that. Like when they were 20 to 25, they got more sleep than when they were 40 to 45. Yeah. Kids, work, yep. career, all that kind of stuff. Most people uh, moved more when they were younger than they do now, whether like that's because physically moved, physically yeah. moved yeah. because you're playing pickup ball, you're playing sports, maybe you're going like to the lake more, you're, I don't know, anything, right? Yep. Maybe you walk more because you don't got gas money, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and it slowly changes. Uh, most people end up getting a desk job. You stand more. Like there's just countless reasons why 
your metabolism would slow down. And it's not because your metabolism is literally slowing down. It's because your, your BMR, your NEAT, your sleep, the things that make up your metabolism are less active and that's causing totally. the slowdown. Um, unless you're 60. Yeah. Then it starts to actually happen, but just a little bit. Like yeah. they, they showed it in the study. There's a really good podcast by Eric Helms and Omar Isaf about it, and they reviewed this this entire topic. And there's a re- honestly, there's a ton of different podcasts and topics about it. We reviewed it briefly on one of the podcasts with Brandon Roberts as well. Mm-hmm. There's a lot because there was this huge study that came out about this recently that was basically documenting over decades of activity and metabolism research. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, with muscle, I think it is going to slow down more because there's certain hormones like testosterone, growth hormone, things like that, that slow down. However, it might also be for some of the same reasons, right? So like testosterone isn't the only thing causing muscle growth to happen. And testosterone definitely slows down as you age because testosterone causes you to age faster, right? If we think of puberty, they go from like a small little pubescent boy with zero body hair to being like a a kid that's squeaking with a deep voice and covered in hair. And it's like, how the fuck did that happen in a summer? Mm. Puberty, boom, testosterone kicked up and they age super quick. Um, That's why like when people say like, oh, steroids make you die, like kill you. It's not necessarily unless you like overdo it and you have like heart failure or something like that, but you age faster. So they will probably die earlier if they abuse it. Um, your metabolism being too fast for too long does that. It causes your processes, the growth processes to just speed up, right? But with with testosterone being one of many factors, I do think there's some correlative like things that cause muscle growth to slow down, like your ability to get enough sleep, your ability to train as often, your yeah. ability for your joints to handle the training as much. All the things that allow you to push it harder in the gym more often and recover faster from it tend to slow down as you age. And that's going to be an indirect thing causing you to build more, less muscle as you get older. Um, so yes, you do build less. Can you build muscle at 40? hundred percent. You absolutely can. You probably won't build as much as somebody who can gain a lot, but that's going to happen. Um, a few things tend to slow down, which is testosterone. Like I said, your ability to train is hard. Like I said, um, if you train for a long period of time, you're more likely to have injuries along the way. That's going to slow you down. Muscle protein synthesis slows down as you age. Uh, you can combat that by increasing your protein intake. So um, what I might get from eating 25 grams of protein, somebody twice my age might have to eat 40 grams of protein, Mm -hmm. right? So there is like in in that meal to have the same exact muscle protein synthesis spike in that meal. Um, So there's a lot of things that slow down, but it doesn't make it impossible. Um, It's definitely one of those things too, where, you know, your body's very, very smart and adaptive. So there's been people who didn't train their entire life and they just picked up weightlifting at 48 years old and they got jacked yeah. and it's because they've never weightlifted. So you still get newbie gains, even if you're in your thirties, forties, fifties. But I would probably say at about 30 to 35, I would say it starts slowing down a little bit as far as how much muscle you can build. Um, and it really doesn't completely start slowing down until probably about 50 or 60. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's also, you know, somebody who has never trained before and is 40 is going to build more muscle over the next year than I will at 29 in a year's time because I've been training for 11 years straight. Yeah. So I just don't have newbie gains left in me, you know. So it, it just, there's a lot of it depends factors. But to, to like, answer your question bluntly, yes, you can fucking build muscle. Totally. You absolutely should try. Yeah. You just got to go lift weights. Amen. <laughs> so, um, dope. All right, guys, great questions. Uh Like I said before, please fill out the form in the description of this podcast so that we can get more questions from you and get some good topics. Otherwise, we appreciate you guys uh, listening to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating review, and we will catch you next time, guys. 